Hey there, this is Lieutenant Stockwell. If you're enjoying this audio fiction adventure of that bonehead, August Reardon, why not support the author and pre-order a copy of his latest Reardon book, Geisha Confidential? Follow the link in the episode description. Geisha Confidential by Mark Coggins. Stockwell says buy it. The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 16. Where in the world is Avita Perone? After the general released us, I had Chris drive the Escalade to the nearest gas station so I could wash up. I expected him to be thoroughly freaked out by our experience in the warehouse, but by the time I got back from the restroom, he was already pitching me on the idea of having him do more research on Evita and her post-mortem travails. You could be wasting your time, I said as I settled back into the driver's seat. I told Vilas I would look for Evita to get us out of the jam, but right now I can't imagine helping anyone dig up any more coffins. Vilas just threatened to frame you for murder. That could motivate you, and knowing a little more about what happened to Evita's body after she died could be useful in the search. I shrugged. If it keeps you from harassing Starbucks baristas, then I'm all for it. I fully intend to do the research on the wireless network in the Starbucks. I put my hand to the ignition, but then paused. Chris... I want to apologize for getting you involved in this. It didn't take very long to turn dangerous, did it? He touched his right temple where Vilas's man had jabbed him with a gun. It was a little scary, but you warned me, and my God, this is a Vita we're talking about. For real. Yes, for real. You were right about that. He looked out the window at a homeless person trying to enter station customers in a window wash. So what do you think Vilas will do next? He'll clean up the warehouse as best he can, disposing of the body and my weapons in a way that could implicate me. Then he'll go balls to the wall to find Evita. He won't wait for results from yours truly. He knows Isis and Rivero are out there looking too, and I'm sure Maximo will be whispering in his ear that I'm not competent or trustworthy. Not to mention the hundred grand he would have to pay if we found her first. You should put that out of your mind. I'm sure Vilas has no intention of paying anything, even if we found Evita. Best case, he'd hijack the body and skip town. Worst case, he'd do all that after killing us. Oh, then what are you going to do? Hell if I know. I drove Chris back to the Castro, dropping him and his laptop off at the neighborhood Starbucks. Don't forget. He said as he was exiting. We still have the tracker on Maximo's car. 
I winked at him, and the pizza sign. I pulled away from the curb and, in clear violation of the California hands-free law, was fumbling in my pocket for my cell phone to call Melina when the ringer went off. I got the thing open and wedged next to my ear in time to hear her identify herself. I was just going to call you, I said. Have you heard anything from your father or brother? You could say that, she said in a dispirited voice. They are sitting with me now. They are? What do they have to say? Very little. My father has been shot. Please come as soon as you can. When Melina opened the door to her room at the Palace Hotel, I felt like I'd walked into the meeting at the Fairmont 24 hours earlier. Rivero and Orlando were sitting in high-backed chairs by a coffee table, and Melina flopped down on a couch across from them. The men even wore the same clothes. Some things were different, though. The aforementioned clothing was noticeably rumpled. Neither man had shaved, and Orlando's pants had grass stains in the knees. Rivero's left sleeve had been cut in a jagged line below the shoulder, and a bandage was wrapped around his bicep. The wound it covered did not appear to be serious. Molina gestured in their direction. Hail the conquering heroes. I sat down on the couch next to her, this time not bothering to distance myself from her for appearance's sake. Who or what did they conquer? Well, my father made the hotel maid cry. Beyond that, I could not say. They will not tell me where they have been or what they have been doing. I've got a pretty good idea. Trying to dig up the body of Evita Peron. There was a stunned silence, then a tumultuous three-way eruption of Spanish. I waved my hands. Shut up, all of you. We're going to have this conversation, and we're going to have it in English. And you're going to tell the truth. Otherwise, I'm going to call the cops and we can talk at the station house. Orlando, predictably, was the first to try and pour oil on the troubled waters. Of course, Mr. Reardon, he said. I'm sure we will all benefit by putting our cards on the table. May I ask why you believe we were looking for Avita Peron? I felt Molina's hand edging over to my thigh, and I took it and gave it a reassuring squeeze. Oh, a couple little hints. One is I just saw a body. A body that looks a lot like hers, lying in a coffin in a nearby warehouse. And the other is I had an illuminating chat with yet another of your countrymen, General Vilas. Rivero sat forward in his chair, wincing as he moved his left arm. Then Vilas has Evita, he asked. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying until you guys spill the beans. General Villas? Repeated Molina in a hushed tone. Father, tell me you are not working with that man. Working with is probably not the right way to put it, I said. Competing with is closer. You might also be interested to know that General Villas's grandson is Maximo. The man who Araceli was dating? That's the one. Molina looked across the table to Rivero. You knew all along who Maxima was. Why didn't you tell us yesterday? Why did you let Araceli see him? Don't be ridiculous, said Rivero. You know I had no control over Araceli. If I told her not to see him, 
she would have only done the opposite. But it's a silly thing to talk about in any case. We didn't know Maximo and Araceli were dating until yesterday. Probably Vilas had told Maximo. Rivero's voice trailed off. Told him what? Demanded Molina. Told him to spy on Araceli, I said. That's what I assumed. Father, what are you involved in? What have you got us all involved in? Evita is buried in Cementerio de la Recoleta in Buenos Aires. What is the point of this? Rivero and Orlando exchanged glances. Rivero nodded his head slightly, gave a dismissive, backhanded wave, then relaxed into his chair. Apparently, that was the green light for Orlando to spill the beans. Some years ago, we found out that Evita is not buried there, he said. The body in the casket is a fake. He went on to tell a story that, as Chris had said, could only be labeled as fantastic. Perón was still in power when Evita died of cervical cancer in 1952. Because she was so popular with the poor people, Perón hired a famous Spanish embalmer by the name of Dr. Aria to specially preserve the body for display in a gigantic monument he intended to build in her memory. The techniques Dr. Aria used were unique and of his own invention, and it took him nearly a year and a half to get the body into the condition he wanted. And what a condition it was. Avita was said to be more beautiful dead than alive. Her skin, in particular, was softer and more supple than any living skin. Not long after Avita's death, Perón was deposed by a military coup and sent into exile. The monument for Avita was never built, and the military leaders seized her body. They did not want her corpse to become a rallying point for still powerful Peronist opposition, but they were afraid to destroy it, bury it in a known location, or in ground not consecrated by the Catholic Church. For many months they vacillated, moving the body to various hiding places in Buenos Aires, including a movie theater, a government office, and the attic in the home of an official. But in the midst of these intrigues, strange things began happening to the men who guarded or transported the corpse. One man shot his wife when she unexpectedly entered the room where the body was hidden. Another was disfigured when the truck in which he was transporting Evita's coffin was struck by an automobile. A senior officer in charge of hiding Evita became strangely obsessed with her, hating her and what she represented, but at the same time unable to be separated from the corpse for any period of time. He drank excessively and suffered a nervous breakdown. Rumors of a curse on the body spread, and as much to protect themselves as to wash their hands of the problem, the leaders of the military government decided to send the body overseas to be buried under a false name. To make it more difficult for the Peronists to trace, they had realistic copies made, which were also sent out of the country. The real Levita was buried in Milan, Italy, under the name that Rivero gave me originally, Maria de Magistris. The fakes were buried in other European countries, including Germany and France. She lay undisturbed for many years, but by the early 70s, Peronist opposition had grown strong again, and the military dictatorship itself was in jeopardy. 
Return of Evita's body was one of the Peronis' key demands, and a splinter group actually kidnapped and killed a high official in an effort to extort information about her location. Before things got completely out of hand, the military leaders tried to mollify the Peronist by exhuming Evita's body and delivering it to Juan Peron, who was then living in Madrid with his new wife, Isabel. When the coffin was opened, it was found that Evita was nearly perfectly preserved, even after spending more than a dozen years underground. The only marks or imperfections on the body were attributed to damage inflicted in anger by the soldiers who had guarded her. Dr. Aria was still alive at this time, and Perone summoned him to Madrid to repair it. Avita was then dressed in new clothing and placed in a new coffin, which Perone kept in his living room. I had set through the story without comment to this point, but when Orlando added, Isabel was often encouraged to lie in the coffin with Evita so that Evita's power would transfer to her. I'd had enough. Hold it, I said. I let you rattle on because I can check the important points in Encyclopedia Britannica when I get home. But this, this completely fails the sniff test. No woman I know would climb into the coffin of her husband's dead wife, much less permit him to keep her coffin in the living room, It just didn't happen. Orlando shook his head. These are facts, Mr. Reardon. Historical facts. Not schoolbook history, not Encyclopedia Britannica history, but history nevertheless. Who do you think was the first female president of Argentina, of any country in the Western Hemisphere? It was Isabel. There is a reason that she got into that coffin with Evita. You mean to say that rubbing shoulders with a mummified corpse conferred some special power on her? Orlando looked me square in the eye. I know it did. I held his stare for a moment, then barked a derisive laugh. You're nuts. I looked over at Rivero, who scowled back at me. Both of you. Let's have the rest of it then. How did the real Evita get to California and the phony one to La Ricoletta? And just for grins, maybe you can throw in how Isabel became president. Orlando wasn't used to being held up to ridicule. His eyes twitched and color seeped into his cheeks. The answers are all of a piece, he said. Shortly after Evita was reunited with Peron, the military dictatorship failed and he and Isabel returned to Argentina, where Peron was elected president once more. To make a long story short, he died six months later and Isabel succeeded him. Evita had remained in Madrid. But when Isabel's administration later began to falter, she was determined to bring Evita back from exile to bolster her... Mojo? Orlando sighed. Popularity is the word I had in mind. I bet I know what happens next. Someone pulled a switcheroo in Madrid. That is correct. Agents of the military had a duplicate of the body made and caused it to be shipped to Buenos Aires, where it was eventually buried in a special underground vault in La Recoleta. The real Evita was sent on to California via Italy under the old alias of Maria de Magistris. Isabel's administration failed, and the military took over the country again for a terrible period that lasted all the way through the end of the Malvinas War, what you erroneously refer to as the Falklands War. After that, the military government was dissolved once and for all, 
and only a few of their oldest leaders knew that the body in La Recoleta was not the real Evita. Even fewer knew that she had been sent to California, and none at all knew exactly where she was buried. The man who arranged for it died in the 1980s. But you and your father somehow uncovered the deception and plotted to recover the body and return in triumph, no doubt reigniting your father's political career. Yes, but we didn't plot anything. We only became aware of the fact that Evita was in the San Francisco Bay Area in the last few weeks, and when Araceli died and we realized we would be coming here anyway, we decided to take the opportunity to investigate. Decided to take the opportunity? said Melina. Have you no respect for Araceli? That is so. Callous, I suggested. Rivero made a growling noise in his throat. It was nothing of the sort. Araceli's death was a tragedy. It is true. But once we had the knowledge of Evita's location, we were bound to come to San Francisco. What is the harm to combine the two trips? Now, Mr. Riordan, we have kept our end of the bargain. You will please explain what you learned from Vilas. I wagged my finger at him. Not so fast. There's still a chunk of the story missing. You haven't explained what happened after we left you at the Fairmont. Orlando and Rivero exchanged another pair of calculating glances. Rivero grunted. Go. Tell them. Orlando drew in a ragged breath. We went to the grave at Cypress Lawn Cemetery. And? He opened his mouth to speak, then reddened again and said nothing. He looked back at Rivero. I slapped the couch. Come on, schoolboys. I've got a shiny new dime here for whoever gives me the story. We went to the grave with shovels and a flashlight, said Rivero. Vilas came with a backhoe and guns. Dios mio, said Molina. I got shot, continued Rivero. Orlando tumbled down a slope. Vilas and his men loaded the coffin into a truck. We tried to follow, but they were too far ahead. There, that is all. Now explain what you know. I looked over at them and shook my head. I was tempted to lie or withhold the story, but I couldn't see how it would help me. They dug up another fake, I said flatly. The real Evita was not shipped under the name of Maria de Magistris. That was just misdirection. If she's here, she's buried under another name. Rivero raised his fist in an expression of exaltation and hissed something in Spanish. Orlando grinned like he'd gotten a reprieve on death row. I held out my palm. But that's not all. I told them what Chris and I found at the warehouse, Isis's involvement, and how I'd bluffed my way out of the jam by volunteering to work for Vilas. Molina shuddered, and her hand came into mine again as I explained about the man hanging from the hoist. And when they heard that Isis was the one who had done it, all the joy and light went out from the eyes of Rivero and Orlando. You are working for us, said Rivero, jabbing a bony index finger in my direction. We expect you to be loyal. It's hard to think loyal thoughts when you've lied and put Melina and me in harm's way, both physically and with the police. Not to mention the fact that you dismissed me, I don't work for you any longer. We may have dismissed you, but it seems you found another way to get your pound of flesh. Don't think I haven't noticed you pawing my daughter. Melina jumped up from the couch, 
shoved the coffee table out of the way, and stood about six inches from Rivero, where she yelled something loud, angry, and, well, even louder into his face. She let it sink in for a moment, and then, as my mother used to threaten to do when I was a kid, slapped a slat out of him and marched into the bedroom, where she flung the door shut. Rivero brought a hand to touch the red mark on his cheek, almost wonderingly. No one said anything for a long moment, and the sound of the maid vacuuming the room next door filtered through the wall. I'd slap you myself, I said at last, but I still have questions. Vilas' role in this I now understand. Being military or ex-military, he doesn't want the deception at La Ricoleta to be discovered. His plan is to destroy the body. Rivero nodded. That is a near certainty. He was chief of staff for one of the leading generals of the military dictatorship. But Isis, Isis embalms people, and she seems to take great pleasure from her work. I can't see her destroying the body, but she's not just trophy hunting, is she? What's her angle? You underestimate the lure of Evita to Isis, said Orlando. The body is like the Mona Lisa to her. She fancies herself the heir to Dr. Ara and the opportunity to work on Evita, to repair any damage, to perhaps bring her to even greater perfection than Ara did originally. That is the pinnacle of her ambition. She would surely be in it for the trophy hunt, as you put it, even if no one else were paying her. But someone else is paying her. Yes, we believe so. We have no solid proof. But we believe she has been employed by Argentina's current president to recover the body and restore it. It would, of course, be denied if ISIS were caught or compromised in some way. I said the name of Argentina's female president, and Orlando nodded in the affirmative. Does she expect to climb into the coffin with Evita like Isabel? I asked. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Her popularity rating is even lower than that of your former President Bush. Yet she is the putative leader of the largest Peronist party. Revealing the deception with the fake in La Recoleta and presenting the recovered and restored Evita to the nation would burnish her image and power considerably. Which is why we must be the ones to bring Evita back to the people, said Rivero. La Presidente is at her weakest now. It is the perfect time for me to come forward. I sunk back into the couch. I said it before, but it bears repeating. You guys are nuts, and you're in way over your heads. It's time to fold your hand before you're arrested, injured further or worse. We were not alone last night, said Rivero. We have other resources in the Bay Area. I don't care. The only sane thing to do is leave the country now and take Molina with you. I'll go to the cops once you're back safely in Argentina and tell them what I know about Vilas and Isis. Maybe we'll get lucky, and one of them will wipe the other out. In a battle between those two, Isis will win, said Orlando grimly. Yes, I think you're right, but you're saying that reminds me of something else. When she warned me at my apartment to stay out of her business, she said you especially would understand the threat. Have you noticed my right arm, Mr. Reardon? A flutter of dread ran through me. Yes. It looks normal and healthy in every way, doesn't it? 
yet I cannot move it. A little over a year ago, Isis sniffed out that we had information about the body in La Recoleta not being real. She kidnapped me and took me to her laboratory. I was injected with something to make me sleep. When I woke up, I was strapped to an operating table. She said that she was going to embalm me, alive, piece by piece until I told her what we had discovered. I am not an especially brave man. I told her what we knew immediately. She embalmed my arm anyway. Everything from my elbow down is dead, supple and lifelike, but dead. The room got very quiet again. Rivero had taken a sudden interest in the toes of his shoes. I opened my mouth to mutter some kind of stupefied reaction, but I never got the chance. Molina's scream from the bedroom cut me off. I bolted from the couch, barked my shin on the edge of the coffee table, and lunged for the bedroom door. I pushed it open to find Molina cowering by the foot of the bed, clutching a small envelope. No one else was in the room, but in the middle of the bed was a flimsy cardboard box that had been peeled open. It was delivered this morning, said Molina between sobs. I never got around to opening it. She stampeded into my arms and I held her, but I couldn't tear my eyes away from the thing in the box. It was a vase with three dried roses, shriveled, thorny, and sinister-looking. The shaft of the vase was made of black pottery. The base was Araceli's decapitated head. Her mouth had been pried open to hold the shaft, and somehow her face and wide-open eyes had been given a delirious, clown-like expression, as if she was supremely happy to be performing a new trick. Rivero thundered through the doorway behind us, took one look at the gaping monstrosity that had once been his stepdaughter, and swooned to the floor. You have been listening to The Big Wake Up, a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.